0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and in this episode we peer deep into the dark depths of product management. Product management can be a challenging career in a number of ways, and we talk about some of the reasons why. Some of the ways to mitigate them, how product leaders can ensure psychological safety for their teams, and how intense physical activity like boxing can be a valuable outlet. So, seconds out, round one, it's One Night in Product. So my guest today is Mark Abraham, Head of Product Engagement at ASOS.com, so I can assure you he's very well dressed, at least his top half. Uh, Mark's a product leader, co-curator at Mind the Product, global organiser for Product Tank. On top of that, he's also managed to write two books, My Product Management Toolkit and Managing Product Equals Managing Tension. Also a keen boxer, so I'm expecting some insightful uppercuts. How are you doing, Mark? Uh, I'm good. Love that intro. Thank you for
1: having me, Jason.
0: As as I've said to many people before, I I try to put as much effort into the intro because then the rest of the podcast doesn't matter. (laughs) So first question, yeah, that's quite a portfolio of activities that you're involved in. How do you find time to sleep? Uh, I could do better at that is is the honest answer, but I still sleep somehow, yes. (laughs) Fair enough. So product management, it's stressful, it's difficult to explain, you're under attack from all sides, there's no clarity, you get all the blame none of the credit, and half the time it feels like companies don't even really know what they're getting themselves into or what success looks like. You've literally written a book on this. So from one product guide to another, why do we put ourselves through this? Uh, well, because
1: uh, it's, it's a good question, and it's a question that on bad days uh, I ask myself <laughs> quite a lot, like why, why did I choose this You know, career? Why did I choose that? But the reason why I wrote managing product equals managing tension is because it is such a difficult and challenging job. The reason why I think it's worth doing, because there's lots of tensions there, that if you make the most of them, you can really get to the exciting part of being a product person, which is solving customer problems, delivering value to customers, which equates into business value too. But the risk is there. And again, that's the reason for writing this book, is that if we get too stuck into the tensions and the challenges and the fr- frustrations, which I argue are inherent to being a product person, we don't get to the exciting part or the kind of end goal of why we're doing this role in the in the first place, which is solving customer problems and addressing customer needs.
0: And and how much of that, or how much of those tensions, do you feel are just part of just jobs versus being very specific to to, to product management? Because uh, a colleague of mine, from time to time, will come up with the the kind of obvious but also kind of insightful phrase like work is hard and 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 obviously work is hard and, and no one's going to sit there saying that they've got an easy job but but how much of that do you think is generic versus specific
1: yeah i think it's 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 a great question and you see some of the tensions that i do describe i'm sure will resonate with people who are not product people no doubt things like difficulties in collaborating communicating with people. You're dealing with people, so that can be hard and lots of problems I find in the workplace, whether you're a product person or non-product person are related to people. But then again, I think there's a number of challenges and tensions that are specific to being a product person because it's such a funny role if you think about it, where we're, we're right in the middle. We're operating at the intersection of customer experience, business needs and commercial needs working with people who have to implement, whether it's designers, developers, the builders. And we need to get all these people on the same journey, get them to to align, but we don't have any authority over them. We're just circling in the middle around them. And that in itself, that is quite unique to this role of being a product person, in my experience, which leads to a lot of, of, of extra tensions that you don't necessarily get, I think, if you're working in, let's say, finance.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess in finance, they're all just throwing money at each other all the time, right? <laughs> well, right? So I've read the book. Uh, I found it very insightful, and obviously, a lot, as a product person myself, empathize with a lot of the contents. But just, and we've covered it slightly already, but but for my listeners' benefit, why should they read the book? I think if you're,
1: particularly if you find yourself wondering, like, what what did I... Pitch this role? (laughs) Same question from earlier, right? Exactly. Why the hell am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I keeping up with this? And especially on a bad day. So understanding that, because the first part of the book is about understanding, acknowledging those tensions. I find as product people, we talk a lot about the hard skills involved in in managing products, which are super valuable. Don't get me wrong, whether it's being able to create a roadmap, look at the data, or come up with a product strategy, really important stuff, we talk a lot less about the reality of of the tensions and the challenges. And as someone who is in those kind of product trenches on a daily basis, I think it's important to to talk about that and also enable us to, like I mentioned, both identify and acknowledge and, and accept to some degree those tensions and challenges. But in the second part of the book, I then go on to give a whole range of tools and techniques of, of of dealing with those tensions and going even a step further, making the most of them. So almost using them for good for the customer, for the business, for the product.
0: Yeah, it's almost like uh, it, it's almost like you just have to fall in love with it to some extent and, and accept it for what it is, which which is obviously difficult to do because everything in your being is going to be pushing against that.
1: Yeah, and. and- and don't get me wrong, sorry, Jason. I'm I'm very honest about that. You know, I'm not saying this book is the holy grail, and every day you'll <laughs> be you'll be you'll be floating and you know living a dreamy existence as a product person. And in, as you say, accepting is hard. But what I've tried to do through this book is at least understand the nature of some of these tensions, where they come from, and and secondly, how to best manage them or deal with them.
0: And what's the, what's the feedback been so far from the book? I've obviously seen some people tagging you on things like LinkedIn and going, you know, hey, hey, good job and stuff like that. But in general, what's the feedback been like? Yeah, so far, and
1: I have to touch wood, but the feedback has been amazing. And I think that also started, what gave me the confidence to write the book in the first place was that this was initially a talk that I started doing about two years ago where I talked very openly about my frustrations and the feelings I, I I've experienced managing products and initially it was a bit, like I said, two years ago, a bit hesitant about, should I do this? What will the response be? Will people get it? But I've done the talk a few times now and every time I do it, people come to me afterwards saying, thank you so much for being so honest about these things, bringing it up. And I should tell you about my situation or a challenge I'm experiencing. And and that feedback has persisted with now that the book has come out I, I keep getting that kind of same feedback of this is really useful not only understanding where some of those challenges come from but also how to best deal with them and not succumb to them
0: yeah i just imagined uh, like a queue of of kind of depressed product managers coming <laughs> to you uh, like after they've read it and, and asking for further advice and and you so did do, do, does that does that happen do you do you get a lot of kind of almost requests for help afterwards or or is it, is it sort of one level abstracted from that? No, I, I do get that. I do, apart from my day job, I, I do
1: quite a bit of coaching and, and mentoring as well. And I talk in a book about how those two hours can be different. But I, as part of that, I get that question anyway, because being a product person on a daily basis is hard, right? We can read all the books in the world, mine included, and think, <laughs> that's it. We're We're good. We're set. Or we can go to great events or courses. But the reality of it is is just tricky.
0: Yeah, I've, I've often considered a product to be quite a lonely career. And it's not lonely, lonely. I mean, obviously, you're surrounded by people. And, and if you're lucky enough, you're going to have other people in your product team even. But but it, yeah, you, there's this wonderful picture of, of like a, a dog being surrounded by cats, all kind of bullying him into the corner. And uh, and it's like that, it's like business UX and customer or whatever. And then the, the, the poor little product manager at the end, it's, it's an interesting i will say is is definitely an interesting career and and I think one thing that that kind of you touched on in the book and it's something that, that I definitely think about is a lot of people that that go into product i think they come from like sort of technical backgrounds or yourself obviously from sort of project management background and there's there's a lot a lot of your worth is defined by the amount of work that you look like you're doing and certainly for me when I moved from being kind of a developer into more product ownership and product management you know you start to think that you know well am I actually doing anything and you start you know getting stressed yourself and I know you talk about sort of internal tensions as, as well as external tensions but then when you move into product leadership you it's, like it's an additional it's like that squared because you're not like a, a day-to-day product manager is not really an individual contributor in a traditional sense they're, they're there to kind of enable other people but then when you're that leader of product people you're there to enable people who enable people and therefore, you're, if you have any kind of imposter syndrome, then you're just sitting there, like just feeling terrible a lot of the time because you're you're not pushing things around on a screen so much anymore.
1: That is that is definitely true. Uh, it does it does not help your imposter syndrome. I think you're right. <laughs> I've also seen you know this risk of wanting to do too much of the doing and not and start micromanaging the people who you're supposed to be line managing or managing. So there's a risk there. But I feel that in that leadership role, there's so many other things that you can bring to the table that you can't necessarily do when you're working on a product on a day-to-day basis. And that's things like thinking about product strategy, giving guidance to the wider business, evangelizing the the role and value of product as a mindset or as a function. But yeah, it, it is definitely a transition going from being in the detail day-to-day with with a team of engineers and designers and stakeholders to go on that level up as you say
0: yeah it's it's almost like they're two separate jobs in a way that that have like different skill sets it's not just that the the head of product for example is just like the most senior product manager in a way it's it's almost like you need to to kind of shift your perspective slightly which is which is interesting and i don't think you tend to get a lot of training in that which obviously adds to the tension it does and again this is something which some
1: listeners might think this is, who are not in product, might think this is not unique to product because managing people and dealing with people is something that, you know, again, you have to do and you have to learn. It's not something you pick up from, from a book. And I've seen a lot of people, and again, I've been on that journey myself and still am, of I haven't managed people. How do I do that, right? How do I go from the day-to-day detail to suddenly having to enable people to do the best that they can in their jobs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Has anyone from your from your day job read the book that you're aware of? I've given them copies,
1: <laughs> so you'd hope that at least you know one or two of them. Uh, we've got a big product function at Asos have read it,
0: and but has it changed either the product team there, like some of their approaches, or has it maybe even changed the approaches of some of the people, some of the stakeholders of the product team, or or is it too early for that yet? I've also
1: funny you should mention that because I've also been giving it to stakeholders to say <laughs> just read it or this situation but literally I was talking to a stakeholder the other day saying what we're talking about right now read my book because I talk about it and it might give you some context but joking aside it's it's early days but already what I've heard from some of my my product people so I manage a team of 16 product owners and product designers within the engagement area at ASOS. And they've already said to me, and and that was really quite telling, Mark, this is is great because it feels like I'm not alone. Going back to your point earlier about feeling like a lonely career and thinking that the challenges that you're facing are unique to you as a person or your organization. And then you read a book like mine and you think, no, it's quite commonplace because Again, in the book, I, it's not just me talking about these challenges. I talk to a lot of really experienced product people at, at, at a number of great organisations who share their stories and their experiences.
0: Yeah, no, I think again that whole kind of almost proxy community that it gives you, even though you're not necessarily talking to these people. And actually, it was it was interesting. I was thinking about this for for this podcast uh, yesterday, like trying to think of like ways to describe it to people and like what the point of it is. And, you know, it's it's very grand to think that you're trying to help, you know, on, on a large scale, but like, it's all about just, sh- you know, sharing stories and experiences so that people know that this is one of the great things about having like a global community these days, right? It's like, no one has to think that they're just the only person anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. But what made you get into book writing? I mean, this is your second book that I'm aware of. Yeah. Now, personally, I start sweating halfway through a Medium article, you know, if I try and write that out. so is that something where like the words just come tumbling out kind of like a waterfall or do you have to really like really put a lot of effort into to kind of keep yourself on because to me it feels like I would just get even more stressed trying to write a book and I know the other people that, that I've that friends and people that I've spoken to that have you know really agonized over that book so why are you adding this additional stress to yourself <laughs>
1: Glutton <laughs> for punishment. No, uh maybe again to take a step back. I started writing, I started blogging in back in 2010. Can't believe it's that long ago. <laughs> when I <laughs> when I wanted to make the transition from project management. So I was working as a digital project manager to product management. And I was really actually, I was still very early on in my career in digital. And I started blogging as a way of just capturing all the things that I was learning and trying to learn about this completely new space of being in digital in the first place, initially as a project manager, then wanting to get into product. And I literally called that blog and it's still there. And I still keep it updated, uh, you know, try to write a post every week, every two weeks as I learn. And in a way that also gave me a kind of, you know, a bit of a cover to say, this is not perfect because I'm learning about this stuff. I'm sharing what I'm learning. This is not, I'm not pretending to be some guru who's got all the answers. And I try to follow the same approach with, with my books as well. So I have to say the words don't come tumbling out on paper. I'm (laughs) I'm good. These are very arduous kind of processes where I have to come up with the structure, think about the messages I want to get across, do an initial rough version, then read it myself to think do I get across what I want to get across here, then get some of my my friends and peers to look at it who will also give me, you know, the editors are always right. So then you have extra <laughs> work in implementing their feedback. So it it is an onerous process. But what gives me a lot of pleasure is is that just that process of going through of of having an idea and, and translating that into whether it's a blog post or it's it's a book or a talk. But really taking that to the next level and saying, how can I Help others with with this idea that I have, or this point that I want to make.
0: But that's interesting because you obviously just touched on the fact that you before you were in product, you you were in project management. I believe before that you were a lawyer. Correct. So that's quite the hero's journey. <laughs> how, how did how did that kind of like the the short version? How how did that happen? Because that's that that's like a pivot, and then another pivot. Were you always interested in kind of technology and 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 sort of delivering solutions, or did you kind of come to that along the way?
1: Yeah, it, it was definitely latter because I always joke that when I started getting into digital, I hardly knew how to turn on my computer, <laughs> and there's days when I still struggle. But be that as it may, no, I was a corporate lawyer. I, I felt I, I felt the limitations of that in, and and that's what prompted me to do an MBA. That's how I initially came to the UK uh, about 15 years ago. And then I realized if I want to use any of this stuff that I've learned on this course, I can't go back to law. I stayed in professional services, working for a big accounting firm. And that's without even thinking about it. I had my first involvement in, in rolling out a, a, a software product, which was a you know firm-wide CRM system. And that triggered mm-hmm. me to, to get... <laughs> yes, it was, but it was for, for someone who's a novice. That was a great experience working, you know, because I did it from beginning to end, thinking about the functionality. And I didn't even think about it in those terms at the time, right? I just went through the steps, but onboarding stakeholders, getting their requirements, understanding the pain points. But that gave me a, a real taste for digital. And that's how I started hustling to try and get into digital. And as we said initially, as a project manager and then as a product manager.
0: So your first book, My Product Management Toolkit, uh, obviously details a lot of fundamentals for product managers. And, and it was actually really interesting for me. I, I actually picked it up mainly because we were transferring some people that weren't product managers into the product organization. And I thought it would be like a good primer, which it was. But that came way after you, you made the transition yourself. So so what what did you use to to, to get into that and to, and to make that transition? Because as far as I can see, there's not a lot of resources out there that are that good. Well, they probably weren't then. No, <laughs> I started learning from all the places
1: that I could. Was one so I did a, a product management as a, a as a one day course uh, at the time. And looking back on it now, I'm thinking hmm, that was actually very different to how I now see product or what I think <laughs> good could look like. But that was that. That's one thing I did. I read loads of articles that were available, so at least it gave me a grounding. And then a lot of it was also just. And I still try to stick to this mantra was learning, trying, maybe failing, a lot of failing, trying again and and that cycle. So I remember the first time I, for instance, interviewed a customer because I was really keen uh, in my first product role to speak to customers, but worked in a relatively small startup, didn't have a dedicated UX researcher and it wasn't a thing, but I thought I need to speak to people because otherwise I'm just flying blind and i can tell you jason in that first interview <laughs> i asked all the leading questions that mankind <laughs> can even think of but that triggered me to do it learn again see how the experts do it and apply that next time and 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 that's how that's how i made that transition and again it's it's the mindset that i still try to bring to what i do and and try to encourage the people i work with to to apply a similar mindsets
0: yeah, and that that's interesting as well. So you're still very much uh, a practitioner, I understand. I mean, I know that you're you're heading up a big team at ASOS, but what but what do you do kind of day-to-day at ASOS? It's
1: it's a it's a it's a, it's a real mix, uh like the product role always is, but a lot of it is as you say focused on the people side of things. So, make a big point of having regular catch-ups, whether it's one-to-ones or checking in with people and the people that they work with and stakeholders just to see what's going on and, and where help is needed and making sure we're moving in the right direction. I try not to be too much in the detail, clearly to avoid the pitfall I mentioned earlier. But at the same time, the way we've set the objectives for people in my team is that ultimately all ladder up to what I'm accountable for, right? So it's, it's not okay, like, I'll, I'll... yeah, quite. And then the accountability, yes, that classic thing, it goes all the way to the top. So, and I'm not saying I'm at the very top, but what I'm trying to say is, I have we we share that accountability, we share that responsibility, and that's where I'm in relevant meetings or conversations, or again when I have to go into detail, which sometimes I do, and not necessarily detail of writing user story, but the detail of what are we prioritizing, which way are we heading, product owner, product designer, do you need any support with that? There might be struggles with stakeholders or getting things across that's the key part. The other key part is, is, is education. Again, when I joined ASOS nearly two years ago, I joined initially as a product management practice lead because there was clearly a need.
0: What a job title.
1: It is a good job title, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I always struggle with that. I think it's the first time I could say it in one <laughs> sentence without getting lost. But the whole idea of that role was to share best practices and and, and build up that culture of of being a product person, having that product mindset, whether you're a product manager or you're not, because it is, in my mind, a mindset. And and I still try to do that as part of this role as well.
0: One thing that's very in vogue these days is almost to the point of becoming a cliche is the concept of kind of empowered cross-functional teams. And then normally at that point, you'll get a PowerPoint with a screenshot from the Spotify website and the, the four quadrants and they're taking the hill or whatever now one thing you've you've brought up before this and and kind of touches on what you were just saying about building the team up is this doesn't always just work like it's not like you just put everyone in a room tell them they're empowered and off they go so what are some of the challenges that you've faced either here or in in previous roles in in making that work
1: yeah i think you're totally right it's that classic idea of spotify can do it create those (laughs) squads so can we and we put we put people in a group and they'll they'll just deliver right they'll work cross-functionally they'll collaborate as they should and the common obstacles i have seen which i write about in the book are things like people still working in silos sometimes you're putting people together that feels slightly threatened even by suddenly having to share success or share responsibility with with someone else or other people a lack of respect or trust is, is another key component. Again, this idea, put people in a room, but what if they don't like each other or don't <laughs> respect each other? I always say, you know, particularly in product, you know, my goal is not to be invited to as many birthday parties of colleagues that I can. Uh, you don't have to like me as long as you, you, you respect and trust. But you'll see a lot with these cross-functional teams that that's not there. Or sometimes where, they don't have shared goals. They don't have a clear clear vision, or they don't have guardrails of what they empowered on. So they say, "Oh, we're we're a group now. We're we're empowered," but they don't have that kind of what does good look like? What's the north star metric I need to hit? So you you can't just expect a group of people to get together and think, "Yeah, they're going to do what I think they will be doing," or expect them to do without being giving them that clarity of direction, giving them a very clear sense of accountability and, and decision-making powers related to that direction and accountability.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And, and sometimes you hear stories of, of teams where people or different different parts of the teams are almost either directly or indirectly compensated differently or to, to different goals, which is almost impossible yeah. to then kind of yeah. wear that off. It's the classic dysfunctional family, isn't it, <laughs> when
1: that happens. and But it happens because people – People get the idea, and it sounds great. And I love cross-functional working. I've had the luxury of, of always having worked that way, Whereas as a product person, you're embedded in a team and you work closely with engineers and designers. But I've also seen the reality that, you again, you need, you need a bit of structure around the squad, and you need time to really gel as a group and go through that group formation process.
0: One of the things you also mentioned in the book and uh, kind of touches again on that is trying to foster that culture. Of, of trust and what what some would call sort of psychological safety in the teams and making sure that everyone does trust each other and that everyone is pulling in the same direction so so how how do you approach that like how how do you because it's not natural for for some people depending on their on their career some people are going to have come from companies with blame cultures they're going to be coming from command and control structures and stuff like that which it's that kind of gets ingrained especially if you've been at other places for too long. So how do you try and break some of that down to make people feel that they can kind of collaborate and, like you said earlier, you know, fail when necessary and, and, and not feel bad about it? Yeah. A couple of things. As a product leader,
1: you can, if you want to call it that, but lead by example. This is one thing that I did learn initially through a book, a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott, where she talks about caring personally and caring personally doesn't mean that you know everything is great because uh, she refers as that kind of trait as uh, ruinous empathy but i think that's really important if you if you if you're building a team and you want people to care personally about each other without again be, having to become best friends or just get <laughs> letting each other get away with murder <laughs> you have you have to demonstrate that and what that looks like so for instance a good example for me of caring personally is being able to criticize without discouraging or without blaming so exactly as you say that is a big challenge if you're not used to that or you don't have the the tools or the equipment to to do that and when i say equipment i'm talking about you know even the the sentences that you can use how do you start a conversation to say jason this this isn't great without i've heard that (laughs) (laughs) no i'm sure you haven't (laughs) without you walking away this is about me personally or what do I do with this feedback? Or that didn't feel particularly constructive or helpful. So a lot of what I try to do is, is enable my my people, uh, so to speak, so the product owners and designers who then can bring that forward, take that forward in their teams when they work with engineers or stakeholders is how do you have those conversations? How do you pick your battles? Because again, being smarter about those things really helped to build that trust. And the other key thing which we touched on is, is shared goals really important if we're just very transparent about what we're doing, talking about and having difficult conversations at times to say, this is your responsibility, this is your accountability towards that shared goal. This is where there might be overlap. And this is how we're going to deal with that. And again, sometimes you can preempt these things. Perfect. Fantastic. If it happens. Other times you have to go through that process of it not working and then having a conversation about and say, okay, how will we do that next time? But going through that journey you at least have those conversations say you stepped on my toes here or it, this was ineffective what we did here or how we collaborated how can we do that differently next time we'll get you to to a high performing kind of uh, empowered team
0: yeah it, it is difficult because everyone's got the same kind of internal monologue as everyone else i guess and and, and ultimately as soon as you i mean I, I think radical candor is a fantastic book by the way but I can understand that not everyone's going to be be ready for that and they're all automatically going to get defensive. And and I I, I think you're completely right. It's just about just demonstrating that for as much as possible and kind of trying to break that down to some some point.
1: And I think particularly if you, going back to your earlier question about product leadership and managing product people, you have a role there also in one-to-ones where you can give people in a safe space, enable people who might come to you and say, Mark, I feel a bit uncomfortable. Giving feedback or difficult conversations, or I'm dreading that interaction with this stakeholder to talk through that and work through how you would approach that. Sometimes I drive my colleagues nuts because I do role play with them, where I'll pretend to be a difficult stakeholder. Or I do
0: not do voices and stuff. (laughs) No, but
1: where I where or, or or a colleague that you have to have a difficult conversation with. And, and the reason why I'm doing it, because some people do find it helpful in a safe space to go through that exercise and, it, and understand is how do I position it? How do I listen actively to the other person and, and really apply that kind of way of being, being open and being constructive which sometimes, you know, as you say, it doesn't come naturally to, to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things from the book, and I know I've seen it in other places as well, is is the the concept of things like pre mortems and stuff like that, where um, I guess you can have kind of kind of just like you said, just like a practice conversation about why it all went wrong, but without the additional pressure of it actually having gone wrong, which maybe sort of takes some of the take some of the air out of it, which which probably pretty good. <laughs> it is, you know, I've I've seen it over the years how liberating that
1: can be, because as you say, you're with a pre-mortem, you look at all the things that potentially could go wrong, you do it as a group, you talk about it, you prioritize the biggest risks and talk and then constructively how to mitigate those risks. But it can be so liberating to have those conversations.
0: Absolutely. Another thing that I personally think is quite critical, and I know that you've mentioned it as well, is is, is around sort of mentorship and, and, and coaching. And I know that they're different things, but it, it feels to me that as you're coming up through the ranks as like a junior member of staff, a junior product person. Again, things like your book and maybe even things like this podcast can help with some of it. But to have actual mentorship on the way up, but also, but also when you when you get to you know for want of a better word the top, yeah. You know, so like even when you get to a leadership position, I think that there's this kind of cliche that oh yeah, well you you've arrived now and you're fine. But actually, that mentorship from from, from my side, I, I I think it's still important. Uh, all the way through your career there's never a point where it's just okay but i know that you're keen on on mentorship and that you're participating in in a lot of mentorship so but so what does mentorship mean to you so mentorship
1: so i i make a distinction between coaching and mentorship and you could say there's overlap and that would be a whole different podcast (laughs) but mentor (laughs) the, the mentorship relationships the relationships that i've had there are typically more long-standing where it's not about I've got a specific problem or I want to go for a specific opportunity can you help me which for me feels more like coaching but mentorship is you have a long-standing relationship a couple of years with some people that I've I mentor and equally people that mentor me where they're with you on a journey and they're you know, I talk in the book about a safety net. These are the people that you can turn to if you want to share experiences, if you would like them to make certain connections. Typically, these are people that are in a place that you aspire to get to eventually or have achieved things that you aspire to achieve. So they have that real life experience that they can share with you. And at the best of times, they will just act as as a sounding board where you talk to them based on their experience. They'll They'll give you some some advice. Uh, they might make might make introductions for you. Whereas with coaching, I think that the, generally the focus is much more about asking those questions to enable you to solve a problem or to get to the next step. So slightly different dynamic.
0: Yeah, it's fair enough. And, and again, I, I mean, I've I've mentored people in the past. I've had mentors and, and 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 been coached, and I I think the most important thing is exactly what you say: just having that that outlet and that ability to to have someone put a metaphorical arm around your shoulder especially these days yeah and uh, and and just you know, tell you that it's going to be okay or that it's normal because certainly when i started out uh, even way before my product career there were times where i just thought that everything was the worst thing in the world ever and this has never happened to anyone ever before yep. and that, 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 that i've failed in a way that no one's ever failed before and of course that's completely untrue you use some boxing metaphors in in the in the book about sort of ducking and you know, leaning in and leaning out and stuff like. Now I've never boxed, but I've done some martial arts in my time. I do remember my first time I got punched in the face. I had a head guard on, but still, everything just went completely blank for for a second. So, yeah, uh, I, I know what it feels no. like. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess aside from the the metaphorical boxing stuff that you put in there about rolling with the punches, what do you see the role of exercise in general being as an avenue to kind of? diffuse some of the tension that builds up sort of day to day week to week in, in, your, in your career
1: yeah you mentioned outlet and exercise again for me it's boxing predominantly is such an important outlet it's almost particularly with boxing i find that's probably one of the reasons why i love it so much you don't have time to think <laughs> about stuff that's going outside the, on outside of the ring because uh, if you do that, and I trust me, I've been there, Jason. Uh, where I did that, where my mind would wander off as I was sparring with someone, and for I knew it, I was punched in the face or, <laughs> or worse. And I think it's really important. You see, particularly now when people are obviously more isolated, having to work from home, so the pressures that you'd feel on a normal day in the office, whether you're working as a product manager or not as a product manager, it doesn't matter. I think we all need outlets, and for some people. That is boxing or running or swimming, whatever it is. But I think it's really important, particularly for for product when it can feel like an overwhelming role because there's so many different aspects to it, and so many different. You know, there's a lot of context switching involved. I find so it's important to have to find your own outlet, whether that's exercise or, for some people, it's art or or just going for a walk where you can just let that all go and just regenerate some energy before you can go again
0: yeah it's just about being able to reduce the the volume a little bit i guess i mean i remember once sitting in in an interview where i was on a panel interviewing someone for a, a company not not my current company and the guy next to me he was like one thing you have to be aware of is that everything's on fire and that's okay if you like it but obviously, not everyone always likes it. And actually, even people that do like things being on fire, I think sometimes they, they, they want to kind of stamp it down a little bit. So definitely agree with that. Yeah, for me, it's running uh, mostly at the moment. The good thing about running is that after the first little bit, you don't really think about anything anymore because you're yeah. too busy concentrating on your breathing and concentrating on putting your feet. So you have to run for a bit. You can't just run around the, round the, round the corner because that won't yeah. do it. But yeah. definitely just anything to just give you that chance to, Clear the decks. 100%. Yeah. And at the risk of increasing your stress level even more, imagine you, that you're at a barbecue or party or a social event of, of some fashion and a stranger comes up to you and, 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 and says, hey, Mark, what is it you do? How do you explain what you do to the uninitiated? I typically
1: start, because I start with when I say I'm a product manager, People are like, so a product, what, what do you mean?
0: <laughs> I you are a project manager.
1: right? Huh? <laughs> exactly. So I start talking about, you see, you see, you know, this app that you use or this website. What I do is I work together with the people who, and we focus together on these and these aspects of the product, the customer experience, and that it's working for you and then making sure we're building the right thing. And that's how I typically start explaining it. And that works well because people relate to that that physical or digital product that they that they're familiar with. And then when I start saying, "Well, I work with the engineers, um, making sure they they're building the right thing," but I also work with designers to make sure we're designing the right experience, or so it's easier for you to use. And 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 that helps me and and stops me from having to hide because I, I totally hear where you're coming from there. <laughs>
0: I guess at the end of that conversation, though, you pull out a, a copy of your book. Yes. Uh, and, and just give it to them. and, and Always. Start, you know, that's, what, <laughs> that's
1: another reason why I write these books, saying, yeah, I'm <laughs> just going to stop blabbering now. Here's my book. And just, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, where's the best place to, to get hold of you if people want to uh, continue the conversation or, or, or hear more of your wisdom? Um,
1: first of all, if you want to not hear necessarily, because it's, not uh, an audio book yet, but if you want to find my books, I'm I'm on Amazon. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, that's a really good place. Uh, you can find me. My name is Mark Abraham, and Mark with the C. Or I'm also quite active on Twitter and Medium, and you can find me there under mwa One.
0: I will try to find enough room in the description for the uh, for the episode to to fit all of that in. Well, that's been a fascinating chat and, and a journey with you through some of the, uh, the darker sides of uh, product management. Obviously I hope that it inspires at least some people to, to be a bit more open or think a bit around how they can how they can deflect some of that tension and, and kind of get themselves to it. Mark obviously it's been a pleasure and, and I hope that we both uh, stay in touch and thanks very much for coming on.
1: Absolutely really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me Jason.
0: For a short period of time, you can win a copy of Mark's book, Managing Product Equals Managing Tension, by sharing the episode link on social media with the hashtag OneNightInProduct. Visit OneNightInProduct.com for more details. Otherwise, you can pick up a copy in all good bookshops, and in any case, thanks for listening, and come back soon.